Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Um, we do this every now and then where we, uh, we just take time uh, instead of, you know, continuing teaching through, you know, a particular book or a topic or a theme or whatever. We just take time to say, hey, what kind of questions you might have going on about what we've seen, what we do? Every Sunday we, we end, you know, with a time of questions, but sometimes it's only like, you know, a few minutes and it's not really time to really get in. So I was kind of thinking, like, what should we do for the rest of the summer? Because the summer, it's, it's the summer, you know, the Brutons are out west, you know, Craig and Jessica, they're down in Texas. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I'm glad you're here, uh, really glad, um, but, you know, it's the summer. And so uh, what I thought was, you know, let's take some questions, let's kind of catalog them, and let's maybe just talk about those questions over the rest of the summer. And so two weeks ago, we kind of started that. There were some really great questions uh, that were thrown out, like, you know, does it really, who wrote Hebrews and does it really matter? Um, also about how Hebrews chapter 6 seems to suggest that, you know, we can actually be unborn again. We could lose our salvation. We could fall away. You know, what, what, what happens there? And so some great questions have already been presented. Some questions have come in through the website uh, anonymously. And I have uh, uh, some of those, you know, here in my notes with some thoughts on them. Um, but I really appreciate, you know, you being here and want to always give chance for those who are here who might have a question to kind of, you know, move to the top of the queue, you know, if you will. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to address one question that's come in while you're thinking of a question that you may have or something that's been rattling around in your, in your noggin. If you are, uh, if you don't want to verbalize it, uh, you can text it to me. My phone's right here. I won't say who it's from. Or you can uh, go to questions.lifejourneyva.com and actually submit it, questions.lifejourneyva.com. Now, I won't like, get an immediate notification right now, but you know, we'll add it to the queue for the rest of the summer. And so, um, or you could just raise your hand and ask it. You know, that's, that's always good, too, all right? Um, and uh, we're blessed this time to have one of our other elders here, uh, Jim, uh, in case, you know, um, because I'm sure questions get asked that, I'm, hey, I never even thought about that. But fortunately, there's guys like Jim, and, and we have Ricky here this morning that have walked in the gospel of the good news of God's grace for much longer than I have that can hopefully speak into this, and others. It's not just us. I mean, it's, it's anyone who has a word from the Lord, for sure. So the questions come in um, pertaining to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, and I thought I would take this question first before we take any from the, the crowd this morning because it pertains so wonderfully to what Jim spoke on last week. And if you weren't here last week, you didn't hear Jim's message from last week, um, I strongly encourage you to, to listen, uh, check it out on the podcast. I still haven't gotten over it. It's just amazing. So the question is, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, what does it mean for Jesus to be the, quote, author and perfecter of faith? What does that mean, that he's the author and perfecter of faith? Uh, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the verses, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it for a little bit and you know, move on to some other questions. So chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, now, quick pause. When you see a therefore in the Scriptures, in my opinion, it's very wise to figure out what it's there for, okay? Because we just pick up a passage that starts with therefore, and we don't have all the context coming before it, 
then we can really get out of whack, okay? You know what out of whack means, right? Like just crazy. So therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, what's that all about? We'll, we'll, we'll try to knock, uh, hit on that in a second. Let us also, let us also, like they did, the witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin, singular, the sin, which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's a race. What's the race? Verse 2, and here's where the question comes in. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Other translations will say the author and finisher of faith, you know, the author and perfecter of faith. Who, talking about Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the reason why I wanted to hit this real quickly before we make, you know, take some questions, you know, from you because this came in is because it directly comes, uh, has to do with what Jim shared last week about the process that Jesus went through that he, the writer of Hebrews explains in chapter five in particular, in order to become our high priest. Uh, I'm not going to re-preach his message, but just amazing. The qualifications for a priest, for a high priest, according to Hebrews, is that they have to be uh, gentle and, and, and able to relate and connect to the people, but they also have to, uh, as he says, uh, weakness, beset with weakness, so that they can actually know what it feels like for the people to have, to, to mess up. Jim said this last week. That's why Aaron was such a great priest, the first priest. He was such, so great because he certainly cared for the people, but he was the one who led the whole, you know, golden calf thing and, you know, really screwed up, if I could say that. And so when people came to him and say, Aaron, man, I screwed up. I love how Jim said that last week. Aaron could be like, I bet it doesn't top this. <laughs> like, I, I guess what I did. Like, so he could connect. He knew because he, Aaron, was beset with weakness. But how could Jesus be our high priest? He cares. He's gentle, sure. But how is Jesus beset with weakness? And I loved how Jim explained that, that as Hebrews 5 talks about, that crying out with loud groaning in the garden as he was moaning and groaning and crying and sweating blood because of the pending cup of judgment that was coming. And his, he, Jesus, had to exercise faith because of the temptation to doubt, but exercise faith that when he lays his life down on the cross, he's exercising faith that the Father is going to raise his life up. Jesus says, no one takes my life. I, I lay it down. But the scriptures say clearly that it was the Father who raised his life up from the dead. And so he was fully, completely putting his hope, his trust, his faith that the Father would bring him back from the dead. So as we continue through Hebrews, it's all about this new high priest, Jesus, who has replaced the Levitical priest. That's where it gets into Melchizedek. He's, he, if, if, if it was human terms, Jesus has no grounds to be a priest because he's of Judah. But we're talking about a whole other kingdom, a whole other world, a whole other reality. So then Hebrews 11 comes around and it says, it, it lists all these people, all these, you know, from, from, uh, from Abraham all the way to Moses to some, some women uh, as well, I think are listed, who because of their faith were pleasing to God. Not because of what they did, but because of their faith. And so this cloud of witnesses that are trusting God in his promise, he says, we have this crowd, a cloud of witnesses who are saying it is faith, it is faith, it is faith. Because the Hebrews, remember the Jews, they were still wrapped up in the old covenant of works and law. And so he says, let us run this race, this race of faith, of trusting with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus, he is the example of what faith actually looks like. 
Remember the cross? Remember chapter 5 that we just you know, went through? I hear the writer of Hebrews saying, he exercised faith to the nth degree as he laid his life down, but he didn't bring it up. God, the Father, brought his life up. And so the word fixing, well, first of all, let me say this. This is what this phrase does not mean. Before I say what I think it does mean, let me take a little time out and say, I think this is what it does not mean. A lot of good friends, people who I think are born, of the, born again, they'll take this verse, author and perfecter of faith, and say, so Jesus is the one who actually distributes faith out, and if, you, if he didn't distribute faith to you, then you are not of the elect and you can't be born again. And so they use this verse to, uh, uh, what's, it, what's it called, um, to support uh, what's called, you know, Reformed theology, Calvinism, you know, say that God only, only the select few chosen can actually be born again. See, Jesus, he's the author of faith. And so if he didn't give you faith, if he didn't give it to you, then you don't have it. So that's how they would use this word author. So I'm going to say that's, in my understanding, not at all what it means. That's not at all what Hebrews is talking about. That's not at all any context of Hebrews. So what does it mean? Fixing our eyes, verse 2. The word fixing, um, you know, I, I come from Tennessee. I grew up in Knoxville. And so we wouldn't say fixing. We would say what? Fixing, right? Fixing. You know, you coming, I'm fixing, you know, I'm fixing to come. What it were, that word actually means, it's more than just this idea of gazing, right? It actually, in the Greek, has a connotation of I'm replacing my focus of one thing with another thing. So what was it? Let's, let's be little, you know, put a little Hebrew boy and girl shoes on for a second. What was it that these Hebrews, these Jews, the title of the book is Hebrews, what was it that was their focus? What was it that they were fixated on before, the, before Christ? The what? The law. The law. Paul, I said Paul. I don't think Paul wrote this. Um, that was two weeks ago we talked about that. The writer of Hebrews, he says, I want to move on to some incredible stuff here about the Christ. But you guys don't even know how righteousness works. Like you don't even know how this actually works. And so we've got to go back to the basics and go over just the basics. I want to get onto the stuff about Melchizedek, about this new high priest. But you think that righteousness comes by doing the law. And so this word fixing, is, it's, it's like transfer. We're taking our focus off of law, Moses, doing to be, and we're fixing it on something else, someone else, Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. So those two words, author, perfecter, what does that mean? This is so cool to me. This is why I wanted to put this up because it goes exactly with what Jim said last week. Author. This word author, it, it's the idea of uh, sometimes it's translated captain. Maybe your translation translates to captain. The captain of the football team. I had the privilege of being captain some uh, a couple times. The captain, do, do you put the rookie, the freshman as the captain? No, even if he's a good athlete, you don't because he's not been there. He's not done that. He's not been in the battle. You put the captain, the one who has the experience, the one who's done it, the one who has been through the battle, they've, they, know what's expect, they know what's coming so that he can encourage the rest. Say, hey, guys, come on, this, this is hard, but we can get through this. We're going to do this, you know, sort of a deal. The captain is someone who's been there, done that. I get the idea of a trailblazer. If you think of, you know, the, the Portland Trailblazers, the basketball team, it's be, they're named that because that's where Lewis and Clark, you know, made their way to from, uh, you know, Louisiana, however that worked. I'm not a scholar. I don't know how that worked. But Lewis and Clark were the first ones to get from the Gulf, my understanding, to the Pacific Ocean. They blazed the trail. It took a long time. They were the author of that route. But the next group that came did it a whole lot faster and then faster and then faster. And now you can get in a, a jet or a train and get there in a couple hours. It's crazy. But that first trip was very, very hard and difficult because it had never been done before. Lewis and Clark authored the trail to the Pacific Ocean. You got that? That's what this word means, author. So Jesus is the author of faith, meaning he's the one who tra trail blazed the trail of this thing called faith 
When did he do that? Going back to Jim's message from last week, in the garden, as he was overwhelmed physically with the temptation to doubt, but he chose, not my will, but your will be done. And as he laid his life down on the cross, he was placing his full faith in the Father that the Father would do what the Father said would be done. So see that? He's the captain. He's the trailblazer of faith. So don't focus on this idea of do good to be blessed, do bad to be cursed. Replace that with a focus on the faith of Jesus because look at how the faithful the Father was to him and that's how he is going to be faithful to you, John 17. But he's not only the author of faith, but he says he's the perfecter of faith. Well, that word perfecter or finisher some translations, that's a very weird, like, what is he? He's, we, we look at that verse, no context, and see Jesus perfect my faith, like make my faith better. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I just think that's not what he's talking about here. Je- the word perfect, it comes from the Greek word telos, which means to, to come to an end. Jesus, Lewis and Clark, let's go back to that, they're not still living by faith that the Pacific Ocean is there. They got there. They saw it. Their travel finished because they arrived. Jesus's travel, I'm using air quotes for our podcast listeners, his travel, his journey of faith ended. When did it end? On the third day when the father raised him from the dead. And he, he was the finisher of faith. He's the 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 perfecter. It's come to an end. That's why Paul says, look, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. He doesn't explain why. I think we can look at this and see why the greatest is love. Because both faith and hope will end. Because one day we will see as we are seen. When these bodies fall off, And this thing of this world as we know it ends and we are glorified in the flesh as we already are in the spirit and the soul and we see the reality with our new human eyeballs of what is, that we're living by faith now, there will be no more faith. It will be sight then, but it's faith now. And so he says, fix your eyes on Jesus because he has already done this. He's blazed the trail and he came to the end of his, quote, faith journey, those three days. So he's our focus, not do to be, but look and see what Jesus went through and what he did. He blazed the trail and the trail ended when God raised him from the dead. Who, for the joy set before him, What was the joy set before Jesus? It could be a lot of things. The name above all names that every knee should bow and tongue shall, you know, confess that he's Lord. That's a big joy set before him. Because before before the incarnation, before the resurrection, namely, I don't even think the enemy knew that there was a son. I mean, think about it. When, when, When Satan tempted this Jesus right after the baptism, he said, if you really are the son of God, then, you know, the temptation. I, don't, I think it was hidden from Satan. Satan woke up that morning, saw the sky split, the voice say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Satan was like, what? What is this? I never saw this. This was hidden. If you really are the son, prove it to me. Because I heard that voice, if you really are. And so I think that uh, the joy set before him certainly was the glorification of his name, where he was hidden, but now has been made known for who he truly is. But I also think that this joy set before Jesus is uh, a bride, his bride, the church. That he went through what he went through so that he could have a bride. Not to further complete him, but to deposit himself fully into a bride that he loves. He endured the cross, despising the shame of the cross and has sat down next to the right hand of the throne of God. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the author, the perfecter of faith? I think it means that He's the one who actually blazed the trail of faith and he's the one who shows us that faith, com- that faith ends. It does end 
It finishes and there will be a joy that is set before us when we see it fully one day and we don't see it now. Does that make sense? Um, we can talk about that for a long, long time. Any questions about that, about chapter 12? I mean, or at least about this little phrase. You guys have heard that phrase before and I've heard it and used it a lot, but until you see the context of the whole chapter, the sin, what about that? The sin that so easily entangles us. In Hebrews, because there's a lot of sins, right? But in Hebrews, the sin that so easily entangled the Hebrews was not believing, not, not exercising this faith because it was all about works up until that point. And now all of a sudden, but the writer of Hebrews saying, no, this hasn't been all of a sudden. That's chapter 11. Look at this person. By faith, they, you know, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, by faith, by faith. This isn't all of a sudden. So with that witness that they have, the cloud of witness, let us also set aside encumbrances, a.k.a. the law, and let us set aside this sin that entangles us, unbelief in God's promise, so that we can run this race of faith with endurance, setting our eyes, fixing our eyes, not on works-based religion, but upon Jesus, because you know what? He's done this already. He's done this, and he is, he like a captain is saying, come on, guys, come on, just a little bit further. I know it hurts. I know it's hard right now, but look, a little bit more. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on me, because it's coming. So I hope that helps. Um, any thoughts? Before we move on to maybe another question. I just always thought the sin that easily besets you, you were supposed to pick out your biggest one. Mm. And then that's the sin that you know, concentrate on. Right. So much simpler than that. Just yeah. Yeah. In that context, that definitely is what it is. All right. So. Before we move on, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just reflecting on the on the idea of faith and Jesus being the author and perfecter of the beginning and the end. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whether or not Jesus imparts faith to us, and I, I think that. in my own life that apart from something like divinity, spirit, and life giving, what within me had the ability to have faith in if it is not something that is given mm -hmm. I am dead? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but I, I, I really take the point that we, it's certainly not partial. Oh, Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, the best teaching I heard on that is from James Barron about 
faith, the indiscriminate or uh, like, like um, in, in the teaching was about the first Passover when the lamb was killed. Remember, the lamb had to be very, very special. It had to be, you know, a year old, it had to be a male, it had to be spotless, blimless. I mean, there was a major screening process for the lamb that they selected. Otherwise, it didn't qualify. So very, 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 very special lamb. But what did they use to apply the blood of that lamb onto the doors of their houses? Anybody remember the material that they used? Yeah, go ahead. Hyssop. 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 Like a, according to James Barron, right? I'm not a hyssopologist, right? <laughs> but it was the hyssop in that Egyptian culture was the most common, like, weed, like, like bush. It was everywhere. So his correlation is common every man who has hyssop. Every man has faith, the ability to believe. But it's the preciousness of what you believe that matters. And so as birds are created to fly, fish to swim, man is created to believe to have faith in something. The question is, what's, what's the something? And so the, the specialness is the blood. It's, the, it's Jesus. And the common uh, every man has the ability, in, in my, uh, my opinion, to believe. Um, it's just a matter of will we or, or, or not. And so, so which can be divinely given in the sense of that's a divine gift that every man has the, the ability to believe, the ability to, to, to believe something or not. Um, and so the common hyssop applying, which again, faith, everyone exercises faith day in and day out with the supernatural blood that results in this amazing salvation. Cool. Any, anything else on Hebrews or, or any other question, a new question, a new thought, a new theme? Hey, let's go this route. Something that you've been thinking about. Pondering. Yeah. yeah please. So, Last week was awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so for the podcast listeners, I think we all heard that. The question is, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there, uh, Jesus, and I don't know the exact verse, if, you, if somebody knows the exact verse, feel free to... Th- chapter 7, verse 21. Chapter 7, verse 21. Uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So, a lot of questions, okay? One that, throw, that comes to me is, well, what's this will? Because that's what we need to do. What's this will? What is the will? So, um, a couple thoughts as we get started in this. So, the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, 6, and 7. A couple thoughts. Uh, and I'll try to keep this short, as short as, you know, possible with, uh, for more questions. Uh, the first, th- so this same verse, Ryan, I, I, I resound with it because I can't tell you how many times I prayed the quote unquote sinner's prayer after a preacher on a Sunday morning quoted this verse and, uh, said, do you even know? Because not everyone who says Lord, Lord. And so well, I, so my resolution or my solution was, well, let me say Lord, Lord again. <laughs> like what? It doesn't make any sense, you know, but I, it was, Terrifying, though. Terrifying. John writes in 1 John, by these things, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. And I, that was the last thing I knew, you know, that I had eternal life. So what context is always our friend? A um, couple rhetorical questions to answer a question. 
How many born-again believers, New Covenant believers were there at the Sermon on the Mount? Right? None. Yeah, well, Jesus, yeah. But none. There there were no born-again believers at the Sermon on the Mount. That should be our very, very first, like, hmm, that's, I never thought about that. So let me try to just summarize the Sermon on the Mount and some people say this was one actual like long sermon. Others say this is a collection of different things. It doesn't really matter. But chapter 5, he says, Seeing a multitudes, he went up to the mountain, and he was seated, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. Is the them just the 12 disciples? Is it the whole crowd? I don't know. But none of them, whoever they are, are born again New Covenant believers. None of them. The cross hadn't happened. The new covenant hadn't started because the new covenant began at the, birth, the, the death of Jesus, not the birth of Jesus. The uh, Pentecost hadn't come where the Spirit had been sent into man. So that, that's all future. That hasn't happened. We're still in the old covenant. Certainly a transitional period, but it's still the old covenant. So he says all these beatitudes, these blesseds, these blesseds, blessed are, blessed are. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. All right. Well, imagine, I think, like even Peter or some of the other multitude. Perhaps there were some religious Pharisees in the crowd. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I can, if I was there, a religious Jew, I'd probably be like, you know, getting a little bow in my back, being like, yeah, that's right. I'm going to see God blessed because my heart's pure. I, I, I keep the 10. I, I give the tithe. I, I, you know, I'm pure in heart. But keep reading. He says, uh, like skip down a little bit. We're not going to read all of it. Um, he says, uh, 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 go to verse 20, for example. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So you've got certain people who know that they are um, out of luck because they're like, I know the Pharisees, they get up 17 times during the night to pray. And like, I ain't, I'm not doing that. So there's no way my righteousness exceeds them. But you know who is probably getting further puffed up? the scribes and the Pharisees, right? They're like, yeah, that's right. You got to be as good as me to get into the kingdom. We'll keep reading. You've heard it say, verse 21, you shall not murder. And whoever murders is in the danger of judgment. But I say to you, let's get this right, how this actually works if our righteousness comes by law. Whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of that judgment. So I see two people. I see the one who's honest saying, wow, I'm out. And I see the proud, the, the self-righteous trying to make excuses. You know, well, there was a cause, you know. And so, but my point is that crowd of the, quote, pure in heart is getting thinner and thinner as Jesus is explaining the true, uh, what it truly takes to live up to the requirements of the law. Skip down. This make might make more sense. Verse 27. You have heard it say that those who commit adultery, you said, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard that. That's one of the ten. But I say to you, to you who? To you who are sitting here. These, none of them are born again believers. They're all Jews. I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his what? heart. So just imagine those guys who are saying, you know, that's right, the pure in heart, they shall see God. That's me, you know, who's got two thumbs and got pure heart, you know, this guy. And then Jesus says, but if you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. I can just hear Jesus saying, so, so how pure is that heart? You see that? I don't think that what I'm getting at, and we'll see this some more, the, the Sermon on the Mount is not, hey, let's strive our best to do our best to get our hearts rid of adultery. I hear the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus burying these self-righteous Jews, burying them in the full weight of the law to which they now are like, 
well, then how can I get into heaven? How can I have this eternal life? So let's keep reading. Uh, he talks about divorce. Uh, at, at certain point, and if anybody finds it, feel free to say it. Oh, verse 48. He, he, he says several of these things. He says, therefore, verse 48, you shall be perfect. That's it. Just as your father is perfect. And if you fall short of that, as outlined by the law, which that eliminates that, that crowd of pure in heart has now got nobody sitting in it. But he doesn't stop there. He goes and talks about prayer. He says, under this covenant, this old covenant, here's how you're to pray. Look at verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. Let me give you my, my, my translation. Survey how well I forgive others and God forgive me the same. So I best be forgiving people perfectly. And if, I, if, I, if Jesus say, you best be forgiving perfectly if you want forgiveness. I mean, that's exactly what he says in verse 14 after he gives them this prayer. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. Whoa. So I can't even pray my, work my way through forgiveness, like forgiving others back into this. Because I'm sure there's somebody in seventh grade that stole my gum that I haven't forgiven. So I'm out. And the weight of work-based mosaic law just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. You get into chapter 7. Oh, well, let me see if I want to... Um, there might be some things I want to come back to, but I want to move over to what you're talking about. Verse 21. It's almost as if, in my hearing, Ryan, it's almost as if, it's like, if there's anybody else that thinks that you're standing on your own two legs still, here, here's another deal. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, just, just because you're born of, you know, Benjamin, just because you're a child of Abraham by the flesh is going to enter this, but only he who does the will and the desire of the Father. And what is that desire? That's the big question. Well, that's what we just saw in Hebrews. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so I, I, I'll try to find this verse. Um, uh, there's, a pass, there's a part here in this Sermon on the Mount where it says the people were just astonished. Oh, verse 28. He ended his sayings, he ended the sermon, and the people were just blown away. He taught them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. Because he's teaching something new. He's teaching the full weight, the full authority of this law, not like the scribes who are like trying to massage it so that they can try to get, you know, show their value to get in. And then there's a... Uh, there's, there's this spot in here, and if you find it, sh uh, holler at it. Uh, okay, yeah, right here, chapter 7. So the question is kind of like, so how does this work? Looking around verse 7. It's like, how does this work then? If it's not by, you know, cleaning myself up, it's not by doing the Mosaic law, if it's not by, you know, subjugating my body to all these different rules and regulations, if it's not, th then what is it? How, how can I get in? And he says here in verse 7, I love it. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open for everyone who asks. And again, what's the context? Seeing God. That's the how he starts. For whoever the pure in heart shall see God. If you ask, you'll receive. You seek, you'll find. You knock, and then he, it'll be open. And then verse 9 or what man is there among you who, if one of his sons asks for bread, gives him a stone? I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. Or if he asks for a fish, he gives him a snake. You then, being evil, ouch, <laughs> know how to good, give good gifts to your children. So if you ask for bread, you give him bread. You don't give him a stone. So you know how to give good gifts. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to he who asks? And what's the good thing? Heaven, him, eternal life, righteousness. And so 
the context in my mind of the Sermon on the Mount is not, hey, let's try our best as Christians to get to 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 to, to live up to this quote unquote standard of Christian living. There's no Christians that he's talking to. He's bearing them in the weight of the law and he's showing there's another way. The will of the Father is childlike faith and if you but ask, if you fling your hope upon him, because asking for bread means that I can't make my own. Asking for a fish means that you can't make your own fish. So it's showing dependency upon another. So out of that context, then if we look specifically at that verse in 21, I think that fits the context. You guys think by just doing this activity, I'm doing this for the Lord, I'm doing, 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 that that's going to make it happen. And I'm telling you, I, is that where he says, uh, depart from me, I, yeah, verse 23, I never knew you. So that's a huge clue because the a teaching that I grew up with was like, hey, if you don't you know, do enough or you know, show your fruit enough or whatever, then he's, you're saved, but then you get unsaved. Well, that's not at all what he says. He says, I never knew you. So again, in summary, there's no born-again believers in this passage. There's Jews who are trying to inch their way to heaven by good works and Jesus like a skillful orator, lawyer, God buries them in the full weight of the law showing them that it is impossible. The law as Hebrew says is weak and useless and the people who were sitting there were like wow the law is weak and useless. So I better hitch my wagon up to somebody else other than the law. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got a hitch. Come hitch to me. In fact, he says it, right? Take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. My, 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 my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So does that help at all in the context of, of that? I don't know. Yeah, 15. Yeah. Yep. And, and again, in that context, what's the false prophet? I think it's the false, it's the, those who are teaching uh, some sort of behavior modification makes you okay. Because that's not, that's totally anti-Christ. I think that's part of the spirit of Antichrist that was prevalent in the time of Paul with the Judaizers, and it certainly is prevalent, you know, to this very day. I think, I think it's pretty, um, well, to me, it's kind of clear from the passages around that that um, it's talking about those who say versus do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think do means works, but mm-hmm. yeah. do means faith as yeah. well. Yeah, right, it exactly. Means, it means action. But exactly. You just say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and you don't mean it, then it has, like, that, that has no bearing in your, yeah. uh, in your, uh, right, your right yeah. view of Christ. Yeah. A great example of that is where Jesus, they, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Jesus, here, okay, what is the works of the Father? Show us the works. We, need, we want to do the works because they're so used to the works, right? Is it, is, it, is it five? Is it seven? Give us the works. We want to do it. We want in. And Jesus corrects their theology. And he says, here is the work, singular. Believe. Powerful. That's not what they were looking for. But that's what he gave them. And, uh, and so there's many who are trying to get in by doing. Did I not? Because I think he says, did I not prophesy your name? Did I not this? Did I not that? And that's not the way in. It's by faith, childlike faith. Awesome. What time is it? All right, maybe one more question. I've got a whole catalog here that we'll just keep bumping the next week or the next week or the next week. I like this. Anything on your mind? 
No? You got something? You sure? Inquisitive look about you. Um, I'll tell you what. Well, let's end with the, uh, this, this shorter one here. Uh, I, I'll skip these other ones because they're a little bit longer. Let's just end with this one. It says, um, how is the relationship between a husband and a wife a picture of Christ? And, I, and I'm assuming they're meaning Christ and the bride. Like how is that, how, how does one, is one a picture of the other? Um, very quickly, very briefly, the, uh, the union that, a, that the bride of Christ has with Jesus, the two have become one, that is, in my opinion, uh, the substance behind which marriage is a picture and a shadow of. And so their question is, how is that? Explain that some. And so if you, I'll just do it short, uh, shortly this way. If you go back to the beginning of creation, when God created Adam, he created Adam alone. There was no Eve. It was just Adam. God told Adam to name all of the animals. So he followed all the animals through. He named them. They were awesome. But Adam said, there is nothing suitable for me, nothing compatible with me. And God saw it. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he put Adam into a deep what? Sleep. While he was sleeping, he pulled out of Adam, not out of the ground like he did with Adam. He pulled out of Adam something from his side. He formed that flesh into a new being named her Eve. And when Adam woke up from that sleep, he looked at Eve and he said, uh, I'm sure he said, wow. But what the scripture says was, um, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She was taken from man, so she shall be called woman. And what that that Hebrew idiom is basically saying, bone of my bone, it's compatibility. She fits because she was taken from me. It's like with a, a transplant, you know, uh, uh, Jeff just had to leave, but he's had a pancreatic transplant. So when he had a transplant, you know, they had to take all sorts of drugs in order to keep his body from rejecting that panc- the, the foreign pancreas. But Eve fit Adam because she was from Adam. There was no rejection. There was perfect union. So think with me, the one, God created one, Adam. He pulled Eve out. The one became two. And then Adam entered into Eve upon the union, marriage, and the two became one again. She was taken out of him. The one became two. And then the two became one. So that's marriage. That's husband, wife. Well, think of Christ and his desire for a bride. And when he, like Adam, looked out over all of creation because of sin, there was nothing compatible. He couldn't enter into any human, human, just like Adam couldn't enter into any animal because there was incompatibility. God could not reside in man. Incompatible. And so the whole plan was for the Jesus, for the father to put his son into a greater sleep called death on a, from a cross so that while the greater sleep, death, God was able to create by the purging of sins to create from Christ, from his very own spirit, a whole new creation, a whole new being, a whole new bride that was born from the very Holy Spirit so that when Jesus rose from his greater sleep, death, there was now created, purchased by his blood, a bride that was now the church, that is now as Eve was for Adam, completely compatible, where Jesus, in a greater delight, says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken from me. There's this compatibility. 
Jesus then able to enter into the bride, the two becoming one in union, one spirit, because now there's compatibility between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of man because we were born from him. And so as Christ now lives in those who believe him in perfect harmony and perfect compatibility, marriage, a husband and wife, is a shadow in this world of that union. So when I took April to be my wife, I didn't know it, honestly, 15 years ago this Thursday, but I was actually embarking in a shadow of this substance of Christ and the church. And if we figure out over a lifetime the glory of Christ and his church and the love that he has for the church, for the bride, we will slowly begin to figure out what marriage really is all about. If we get the gospel, we'll actually end up getting marriage. Now that's the short, like, parenthetical version for time's sake. But um, marriage exists as a shadow for something so much greater and more glorious. But as we get to understand the glory of the substance, Christ and the church, it begins to impress upon us the great glory of marriage. Um, so that's uh, my two. Any thoughts on that before we bring it? Does that make sense? Is that, um, I think that's big. That's what we do in our premarital counseling. We spend time just talking about why we're doing this thing of getting married. We do it, but do we know why? I think, like myself, I didn't know why for a long time. Any thoughts? Yeah. I just want to say because of marriage, that's why the world and the devil today tries to distort what yeah. marriage is. Right. Because if you do that, then you are distorting the gospel. Yeah. You're distorting the good news. Yeah. And it, it's deception on the minds of those who are trying to hear or yeah. trying to believe. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You can probably look at the things that are attacked the most and come to the conclusion that those are the things that reflect a substance the most, i.e. family, you know. Cool, yeah. All right, any, any closing thoughts before we, uh, before we head out? Great seeing everybody. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.